Hello to all and welcome once more to Perfect Shadows. So up to now we've covered two Mesopotamian kings that forever left their mark on the region. We're going to be shifting our focus a thousand miles westward and about three centuries later to go over the reign of Hatshepsut of ancient Egypt, who has been called the first great woman in history of whom we are informed. Our friend from the previous episode, Mark Van Demirup, calls her, quote, one of the most celebrated and controversial women of Egypt and the ancient world in general, end quote. Hatshepsut, who would become the longest ruling female of native origin, though not the only one by any means, ruled a full 14 centuries before Cleopatra VII. That's the one we're all acquainted with, who shows up in a rug, etc., etc. She presided over a period of time in Egypt's new kingdom known as the 18th Dynasty. These three and a half centuries would come to be known as the peak of ancient Egyptian power. We'll be covering some more rulers from this period, known also as the Thutmose dynasty, due to the four pharaohs named Thutmose, in a few episodes from now, as this dynasty has a bunch of neat characters, and to be honest, I've loved ancient Egypt since I was a kid. The gods looked crazy, there's almost 3,000 years of history to learn about, and of course, mummies. It certainly helped that I lived in a city which has a pretty big Egyptian museum with real mummies, and it's the type of place where everyone went for at least a field trip when they were in school. But anyways, back to our Queen Hatshepsut. Now, although she was certainly an innovative and largely successful ruler, Hatshepsut has sparked controversy throughout the ages for her bold attempts to reinvent herself from a ruling queen to a dun-dun-dun male king. That's right. You could do almost anything you want, except pretend to be a guy. Now, Hatshepsut was born circa 1507 BCE to the reigning pharaoh Thutmose I and his great wife Amos. Little is known of her early life, although Kara Cooney, in her book, the woman who would be king does a wonderful job bringing this time to light using her training as an Egyptologist in conjunction with what little evidence has been found to sort of fill in the blanks. Following the death of their father, her half-brother Thutmose II ascended to the throne as pharaoh and was married to Hatshepsut. Thutmose II was actually third in line but became the crown prince due to the deaths of his two brothers. Now, as most people have heard, Incest in the royal household was very much an accepted part of Egyptian society rather than a taboo, with its roots stemming from widespread brother-sister pairings within its religious mythology. The marriage produced a daughter. There was also a son named Thutmose III who was born to another minor wife and who would become one of the top pharaohs in all Egyptian history. That'll be a tale for another episode. So Hatshepsut was given the highest priestess role as God's wife of Amun a position which held with it economic possessions and power, both political and spiritual, which would help her claim to legitimacy in the future. The importance this position held cannot be understated. Cooney writes, quote, If the temple walls did not keep out enemies and profanity, if the offerings were not made, if the god was not fed, if the god's wife did not facilitate his rebirth, then, it was believed, creation would stop, or at least the creation that benefited the people of Egypt would collapse. The Nile might cease to flood its banks every year, leaving no life-giving silt and mud in which to farm. The sun could fail to rise in the east every morning, depriving the crops of life-giving rays. End quote. In essence, her role as God's wife of Amun held a crucial religious importance without which life would not be able to exist in Egypt. Thutmose II's reign has been argued to have lasted anywhere from 3 to 14 years, depending on which sources you read. What we do know is that he died relatively young, having always been sickly, with some sources pointing to heart disease as the root cause. So this leaves Hatshepsut with her stepson slash nephew Thutmose III. As he was only a toddler and thus too young to formally take the throne, Hatshepsut now assumed the role of regent. It is here that we begin to see Hatshepsut transform into the powerful figure now known throughout history. Whether or not the transition to power was peaceful or fraught with palace intrigue, we cannot say for certain. Ancient Egyptian records are notoriously bereft of such accounts, preferring to sweep any such incidents under the rug and instead portray a consistent and harmonious transfer of power determined by the will of the gods. 
While this would not have been the first time a queen regent was in power, she was not the actual mother of the boy, and Thutmose III was only one of the many other child princes who could stake a claim to the throne. Nevertheless, Hatshepsut devoted herself to consolidating his, and through that, her, hold on power. She commissioned numerous construction projects, perhaps more so than at any other time in Egypt up to that moment. A majority of these were temples and monuments, wherein she was simultaneously able to employ workers, increase the prestige of the priest class, and control the historical story which would be told. Cooney writes, quote, It was Hatshepsut who enacted a systematic program of monumental building to ensure that her rule was depicted alongside his throughout the land, and that her image as a woman of authority was carved in Egypt's sacred temples. As she strengthened Thutmose III's kingship with new buildings, she also erected sacred monuments in the name of her dead husband, perhaps reminding her people why she, and not another, served as regent. Hatshepsut seems to have been playing up her connection to Thutmose II in these monuments, perhaps with the realization that her connection to his son Thutmose III, as his aunt, was only tenuous and by no means direct. It is as if she was manipulating the monuments to rewrite history. Perhaps she thought that if she focused on her relationship with the father, everyone might begin to see the son as hers, too. End quote. So while she has these temples being rebuilt and monuments being erected everywhere, she pretty much has the religious sector locked down. She also trained her daughter Nefrura to become the next god's wife of Amun, ensuring that the land and power attached to the title would remain within the family. As for the army, ongoing campaigns in Nubia were successful and able to reinforce her support base among the generals and the populace, or with all the wealth flowing back to Thebes and the rest of the kingdom. This financial security was further guaranteed by her trustworthy steward named Senenmut, who would be counted upon to manage the kingdom's treasury responsibly, tutor her daughter, and handle many other administrative tasks. Some sources even point to this official being a lover of Hatshepsut. As an aside, Senenmut is said to have been responsible for designing Hatshepsut's amazing burial temple at Deir el-Bahri, which would later serve as the entrance to the Valley of the Kings. I've included a great photo of the structure by Kenneth Garrett of National Geographic on our Instagram. To further bolster the position of a growing Thutmose III, Hatshepsut betrothed her daughter Nefrura to him, another step-sibling marriage which would serve to further intertwine the royal bloodline. Her next steps, however, are regarded by some sources to have been 20 years in the making, biding her time by acquiring and consolidating power until the moment was just right. Seven years into her rule as regent, Hatshepsut took the unprecedented step of having herself crowned pharaoh. Thutmose III was still, for all intents and purposes, a king. It's just that now Hatshepsut was the king. And you'll notice I didn't say the queen. Hatshepsut's coup was successful and there was no reason to settle for anything less than being the king. Gender rules be damned. One could imagine this would create some sort of problems, as kingships were meant to be inherited from fathers to sons, or at the very least, purely on a male basis. The pharaoh was supposed to be the personification of the god Ra. Hatshepsut wasn't the type to let something like traditional gender roles upset her plans, so she set forth to combat this in a number of ways. For one, she was the god's wife of Amun, a position as the highest priestess in the cult of Amun, which certainly trumped the title of king's wife, as it gave her a principal connection to divinity. She also created a new prophecy which supposedly told of her rise to the kingship. Her bloodline was also helpful, as she was purely of noble blood, rather than half like Thutmose III. So that takes care of the right to rule aspect, at least in regards to her spiritual and earthly pedigree. Secondly, remember we discussed all those temples and monuments she was having built, and how some focused on her and her father? Well, she was able to use those to commission inscriptions which claimed her father had actually designated her as the true heir to the throne. Again, she's not posing an actual mortal threat to Thutmose III here. She's simply saying that she was meant to be pharaoh now, but that Thutmose III was certainly next in line to become pharaoh. He was just going to have to wait a little bit for now. Finally, 
What better way to convince the general populace that this was completely fine than with some good old propaganda? It is at this time that statues, inscriptions, or really any sort of images of Hatshepsut depict her as a male ruler. Where previously she had been portrayed as a female wearing male royal regalia, she was now presented as a full-on man, complete with all the trappings and postures of a male pharaoh. Rather than begin a new timeline with her coronation, Hatshepsut cleverly stated her reign actually began concurrent with the reign of Thutmose III, meaning she was, and had always been, the one true ruler. Throughout the rest of her reign, Hatshepsut's Egypt would continue to grow, prosper, and remain relatively peaceful. Thutmose III continued to be relegated to the background, often being placed in charge of simple temple functions and the sort, although he was able to go off on military campaigns near the end of Hatshepsut's reign. Years later, Hatshepsut financed a famous trade expedition that was sent to the island of Punt, which is thought to have been located on the Horn of Africa. This trip brought back numerous luxury goods, including, according to Betsy Bryan, quote, incense, including the incense tree themselves, ivory tusks, panther skins, live elephants, and, of course, gold, end quote. Trade continued to flourish, extending possibly as far north as the Minoans in Crete or the Mycenaeans in Greece. After almost 22 years on the throne, Hatshepsut died in 1458 BCE, at around the age of 50. Modern-day scholars believe her death to be attributed to a mix of diabetes and bone cancer. Thutmose III became the sole king of Egypt and began a long and immensely influential reign, expanding Egypt's empire to its largest size. We'll definitely come back and cover the life of ancient Egypt's Napoleon at a later time, but for now, let's finish up with the lasting effects of Hatshepsut's reign. Near the end of Thutmose III's reign, about 20 years after Hatshepsut's death, there began a deliberate and methodical destruction of Hatshepsut's memory around the kingdom. While traditionally this has been attributed to Thutmose III lashing out at what was presumed to be his hated stepmother, there are some scholars who believe it may have instead been a result of Thutmose III's heir, Amenhotep II, removing her image and public record in an attempt to bolster his own legitimacy. Whatever the reason may be, countless statues were defaced, inscriptions bearing her name were removed, and symbols of her kingship were destroyed as a political message around the kingdom. I'd like to leave you now with this passage by Chip Brown of National Geographic, as it summarizes Hatshepsut pretty well. Quote, Given the oblivion that befell Hatshepsut, it's hard to think of a pharaoh whose hopes of being remembered are more poignant. She seems to have been more afraid of anonymity than of death. She was one of the greatest builders in one of the greatest Egyptian dynasties. She raised and renovated temples and shrines from the Sinai to Nubia. The four granite obelisks she erected at the vast temple of the great god Amun at Karnak were among the most magnificent ever constructed. She commissioned hundreds of statues of herself and left accounts in stone of her lineage, her titles, her history, both real and concocted, even her thoughts and hopes, which at times she confided with uncommon candor. Expressions of worry Hatshepsut inscribed on one of her obelisks at Karnak still resonate with an almost charming insecurity. Now my heart turns this way and that, as I think what the people will say, those who see my monuments in years to come, and who shall speak of what I have done. Thank you to everyone for taking the time to listen. If you've been enjoying this podcast so far, please leave me a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is you're listening from. In case you've noticed any differences in recording quality, I've been testing a few different programs every week trying to find one that works well enough without causing too many headaches. I'm still terribly new at everything, but I feel like the Beatles would say, it's getting better all the time. I think I've settled on Hindenburg Journalist, but if you've got any feedback, advice, or even ideas for the show, then by all means shoot me an email at perfectshadowspodcast at gmail.com. As always, alternate cover art, plus the photo of her burial temple that we mentioned earlier, will be uploaded on our Instagram, at Perfect Shadows Podcast. And you can also visit www.perfectshadowspodcast.com for the sources used in this episode. 
Next week, we'll be heading to ancient India to cover a sort of two-for-one on Chandragupta Maurya and his guru, Chanakya. Thanks again, and I'll see you here next week.